0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church sermon podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest preaching for us for our revival services. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Well, we've heard from the Lord.
1: Let me say quickly two things, but I wasn't completely losing my mind. Uh, The pastor down home uh, the two fellows that I had lunch with last week, he had announced that Pastor Nono would be with him yesterday. That's why I couldn't figure out how can he get from down there up here. And so he had, he had misannounced. He put on Facebook yesterday afternoon, he said, Brother Nono will be here next Sunday. He said, I'm sorry, I gave the wrong date. <laughs> now, so that, that explains one thing. Secondly, we've been trying to figure out when was the first year I was up here we think now we've got it narrowed down to 1997. That sounds right because uh, Brother Clarence Doyle, I think, actually preached the first Tent Revival. And, and then some of you guys came down. Pastor White wasn't in that group that year. And I was preaching a men's retreat down in Indiana. And Brother Joel Nelson was with them. So he had been here about a year. And I think they said he came in '96. And so I came then the following year, which would have had to have been 97. So it's not been quite as long as we thought, which is good news. We're not as old as I thought we were. <laughs> so I'll skip my Geritol today. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Pastor Nono. We need that. The book of James, chapter 1. He's right, you know. Uh, American Christians... Are proud and arrogant and uh, we seem to have forgotten our first love. Now <clears throat> as a doctor would try to diagnose a case uh, sometimes that's, that's the pastor or the preacher's spiritual responsibility. And lately uh, <clears throat> I have felt more like uh, what I, I think Maybe an emergency room doctor might feel like you know uh, I, I don't know a lot about the medical field, but I can only imagine what you would you would think if you were working in the ER as the doctor and and they bring in this this gurney and and you got this person laying on it and and they're bleeding profusely. maybe there's a bone protruding protruding somewhere and and, and, and they're all around, and, and, and they bring this person in. There's been a tragedy somewhere, some accident's taken place, or something. And, and try to put yourself in that doctor's place. Wouldn't you think, what do I need to do first? What's the most important thing for this person and their survival? Is it stop the flow of blood? Do I need to get fluids going? Are they breathing the pulse, the heart, all of that? They gotta be thinking about it. I feel that way with the church in America. I feel like we've got so much wrong with us. What do we address? What what do, what do we look at that has to be addressed? And I don't have the answer to that, but the Holy Spirit does. Now, I want to I want to read a little. Say a little, read a little more, and I'll be done. And I've, I've read after some men that, that can say it much better than I can, and so I want to give you some of what they have given to me, and uh, pray that the Lord will use this in your spiritual growth. James chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. Let me read that again in verse four. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye be that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let's pray. Father, we pray tonight that as you have spoken, that you will continue to speak to our hearts. Lord, I know of nothing that we need in this country more than real revival. I know, Lord, in my own heart there is a continual hunger and thirst. And Lord, you're the only one that can fill that void. We surrender ourselves, Father, tonight as instruments to be used, Lord, for Your glory. Hide me behind the cross and under the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Speak, Lord, clearly, plainly, and profoundly to our hearts. We pray in the high and lofty and lovely name of the Lord Jesus and for His sake we ask, Amen. How did we get where we are? A lot of reasons, but I think it's because we're biblically illiterate. I think it's because we are no longer students of the Bible. We own Bibles, we can quote Scripture, but we're like a fellow that can memorize the encyclopedia, but he's still dumb as a box of rocks. He can quote you everything in the encyclopedia, but he didn't know anything about any of it. We have a lot of that in American culture religiously. I see it maybe more than anywhere else at funerals. I see people that are afraid to face death. And and we've tried to salve our conscience with an artificial hope. I've watched people, Pastor, come down the aisle and, and it's, it's traditional, at least down home that the, the pastor or the minister who does the, the funeral service will take the place their place at the head of the coffin, and then when the friends and family file around, uh, you greet them. And, and I've noticed a number of people that will not come through. They'll come and they'll turn away. and they'll hurry out. And uh, I, I hear people make statements like, well, we know they're in a better place. Well, you know, I'll swallow that if it's somebody who had a testimony that they loved God, served God, they've been saved from their sin, they've turned in repentance and faith to Christ, then that's a good good response. But don't bring me that for somebody that has never had a testimony of salvation. They're not in a better place. As hard as this is, it's biblical. You die without Christ, you go to hell. Unpopular, unsavory, but it's true. The only people going to heaven are those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's the only ones that are going. Now somewhere we've watered all of that down. And somewhere in American culture we don't have time for God. And could it be that we come to passages just like this and we don't dig into it? It's too much work. It's easier to memorize it and quote it and never get to the bottom of it. But I gave you Warren Weersby's outline of this and I'll give it to you again tonight because I think he did a good job with it and I want to give him credit and again if the Lord does anything with it we'll give God credit. The four words that he reminds us of are the word count in verse 2, the word know in verse 3, the word let in verse 4, and the word ask in verses 5 through 8. Count, know, let, and ask. All of these things are necessary for us to turn our trials into something that can be used of God. Count it all joy, my brethren. He's talking to save people. Count it all joy. Now let me back up again and say not an artificial joy. Not putting a smirk on when inside we're dying. But it's a joy that is real from the heart. It's a deep, abiding, settled joy. The world knows nothing of that and the church knows little of it. Deep abiding peace and joy. Only God can give you that. You can't find it in any relationship. You can't find it at the bottom of any bottle. You can't find it at the end of any needle. You can't find it in any any place, anywhere, or any thrill anywhere, you can, you know, and I've said this year before, but the Rolling Stones, and they're still going, I think, and I can only imagine, if they're in a bus, they got to have a 50-gallon drum of Ben Gay in the back of that thing, you know, as old as that bunch is, but they're known, the Stones were really known for this song, I can't get no, that could be our National Anthem. That could be America's national anthem. I can't get no satisfaction. And God knows that bunch and me and some of you have found that we can't get no satisfaction. Not in this world. All of the allurements out there have proven to be false and ultimately fatal. So count it all joy, brethren when you fall into divers. Now the Greek word for that and I'm not, I'm anything but a Greek scholar, but the Greek word for the little word divers literally means multicolored. All variegated. All variety. Count it all joy when you fall into these diverse temptations. Wiersbe gave an illustration about he and his wife traveling somewhere and, and they saw this thing that I see personally in my own home. Uh, my wife has been uh, for years infatuated with uh, quilting and needlework and all of that stuff. And, and not so much now she does the, the quilt thing. But uh, years ago she got into this, I, I think it's needlepoint where you have the pattern and you stitch it in and it makes a picture or it spells something out, and it's it's really nice. It drive me nuts, but it's really nice. <laughs> and one day she left that laying on the chair, and I looked at it, and honestly walked by and thought, man, that, that what a mess. You know, because I saw loose ends and I saw a different group of colorings, and it made no sense to me whatsoever. You know what I was doing? I was looking at the wrong side. She'd left it upside down, and I was looking at the underside. And Wearsby talked about he and his wife going into a place where they would have these looms and they would weave all this material and they saw the underside. And, and the fellow that was there directing the tour even made the point. He said, Don't judge what you see by the underside. That's the Christian's problem. We're judging what God is doing by what we see here, and we're on the underside. Only on the other side will we be able to look back and honestly from our hearts say, He hath done all things well. (laughs) He is making no mistake tonight. God hasn't slipped up. God hasn't moved off the scene and forgotten about Kaufman. He had not forgotten about you. Even though sometimes the enemy will make us feel that way that God doesn't care anymore, that God's not watching anymore, that God's not really looking out for you individually. We feel like maybe God may be looking out for the pastor, he may be looking out for the neighbor across the street, but for me personally that just doesn't always seem real. That's the attack of the enemy. Now remember when we we look at this verse God sends trials but he permits temptations. God sends the trial, but he permits the temptation. A trial is meant to strengthen you. A temptation is meant to destroy you or to weaken you or to bring you down. Now, this this manifold, this word manifold temptations, we're tried sometimes with poverty and sometimes we're tried with riches. Paul knew that. Paul said I've learned in whatever state I'm in there with to be content. I have found that when I've got the bills paid and a few dollars in the bank it's easy for me not to pray as fervently. It's easy for somehow, you know and I'm amazed at my own stupidity in this. Somehow or another I, I kind of want to coast a little. I kind of want to let off the gas and just kind of ease along a little bit. You know the pressure's off, Brother Case. But then the very next time that the the struggle is on and my back's to the wall and the bills are due, I'm wondering where it's going to come from. And I can't tell you over the years how many times that's happened. And I look at myself and I say to the Lord, Lord, I can't believe I'm this dumb, but I am. And And Lord, here I am again and I don't know how you're going to do it but He always does it. He always somehow not early, not late, but right on time comes through. So, when God's weaving the pattern of my life and I'm looking at the loose ends My tendency is to judge that God's messed up somehow or God God has made a mistake somehow or he's, he's left something off that should have gone in or he put something in that should have stayed out. But no, no, my problem is I have too low a view of God. I start with man and begin to get my image of God from what I know of man. That's backwards. We have to start with God and work our way back down to man. Now I can have poverty and that can be a trial or I can have riches and that can be a trial. I can have good health and even that can be a trial. Or I can have illness and that can be a trial. There are any number of things that can happen in my life that that can be good or bad to me at the time and either or can be a trial. I I can have failure and that can be a trial or I can have success and that can be a trial. People can say good things about me and that can be a trial or they can say bad things about me and that can be a trial. you know a good rule of thumb? When people say good things about you, don't let it go to your head. And when they say bad things about you, don't let it go to your heart. That will stay with you. That's not original. There's nothing original with me by the way. If I say it, I got it somewhere. I can promise you that. I just wish I knew everybody that I got it from that I could give them credit for it. But don't let it go to your head if they say something good about you, and don't let it go to your heart if they say something bad about you. We all have that tendency. Somebody brags on us a little bit, and we want to get puffed up. Yeah, I did did do okay, didn't I? They say something bad, and we want to go off and cry in the corner somewhere and have a a pouting match. And, and, And that's the way we are. But the Bible says very clearly, my brethren, count it all joy. Now, how are we going to do that? We're going to have to go back to this one word that we're going to look at tonight just for a very few minutes, and it's the word let. And that speaks, where's be said of a surrendered will, let. Now, th- there's a couple of things that I want to read to you. I want you to go in, in the Bible very quickly. I'm not going to run you everywhere, but 1 Peter chapter 4, we're real close to these two scriptures in your Bible already if you're there with me in James. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Listen to what Simon Peter had to say. Beloved, that's the same people as the brethren in James 1 and 2. But beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But what does does Simon Peter say to do? Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when, now when's all this supposed to take place? When, when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, on their parties evil spoken of, but on your parties glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. If any man suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God on, on this behalf. Now, he has told us that we are not to think it strange concerning the fiery trial that is coming. But he said that we are to rejoice in as much, I am back in verse 13, you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed you may be glad also with exceeding joy." Now turn with me quickly just back a few pages in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. These are well known scriptures, you could quote them probably. This will be the last place. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now stop there just for a moment. He is using the analogy of an athlete obviously. And you don't see long distance runners wearing overcoats. You don't see them weighted down. Now they may they may put weights on their ankles or around their wrists when they are in training but they are doing that to bring their body to the place where it can endure. Now our word tonight is the word let Let patience have her perfect work. Allow it to happen. Don't resist what God's trying to do in your life. Don't hold back when God puts you in the crucible and argue with God while God's trying to teach you a lesson. Allow yourself to be molded into the image of Christ. Allow Him to bring you to the place of maturity. Now, let me read the next verse. Verse 2 this is in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was what? Set before Him. Now what did He do with the cross? He endured the cross. And how did He feel about the shame? He despised the shame. Enduring the cross, despising the shame, but he had joy set before him. Now, does that make our verse back in James 1? I hope it does, a little clearer for you. It's not that Jesus, this would have been incredibly unthinkable, that Jesus would be hanging on the cross with this smile on his face saying, Praise God, anyhow. He is in agony. He is beaten until he does not even resemble a man anymore. He has this terrible crown of thorns pushed down on his brow. The blood is matted on his face. Part of his beard has been jerked out. He's been beaten with the cat o' nine tails. He is almost to the point of death. But he will not die until he lays his life down. And he's not on the cross with a smile. He's not on the cross saying, Boy, well, I, can, I can still enjoy this. There's nothing enjoyable about the cross. He's looking for the joy that is set before him, and that is the joy of knowing there's coming a glad tomorrow when he'll have his bride in glory with him. Hallelujah. He was looking down the road, church, to when we will be united together with him in glory. He was purchasing our redemption. Someone else said one time that in the garden God took a rib from Eve and from that rib he made his bride. And they said it like this and I love this. They said that God opened up the side of the first Adam and he let his bride out. But on the cross they took a spear and they opened up the side of the last Adam so that his bride could get in. And we're in tonight to the family of God all because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not because of your goodness, not because of your church attendance, not because of your long prayers, not because you read the Bible, not because you can study it, not because you can memorize it. Because Christ loved you when you were unlovable. That before there was an angel's wing moving, before there was a star sparkling, that God had you in mind that God was working on redemption's plan in his heart and mind before there was an Adam, before there was an Eve, before there was a devil, before there was anything, God knew what it would cost to make you, and he knew what it would cost to redeem you and ransom your poor soul. And for some reason, known only to God in heaven, he thought you were worth it. Now let me read you two things and I'm done. I can get it to come up. wouldn't technology great. <clears throat> when it works. Well, it just locked up. I knew I shouldn't have trusted this thing. Here he goes read you this real quick. This is from John Phillips commentary and I'm just going to read part of it. He said patience is a farmer's word. The farmer plows and plants his field but then he has to wait patiently for the harvest. Patience is a photographer's word. We see him as he goes into the wilds to get videos of a cuckoo putting its eggs in another bird's nest, or of a crocodile tenderly picking up its newly hatched young in her mouth. He has to find the right spot, build his blind, set up his cameras, and then settle down to wait. Patience is an astronomer's word. His calculations tell him of the impending visit of a comet or the coming in of an eclipse, or the coming of an eclipse, and in no way can he hurry the process. If he wants to see the comet or the eclipse, he must wait. Patience is nature's word. A time exists in the ripening process of a peach or an orange and when it, is, when it has all of its various parts it is as much a peach or an orange as it is ever going to be but it is not yet ripe. If the fruit is picked at that stage it will be hard and bitter. Much fruit that is sold today is like that. The tomatoes are red and round or, and ripe or so they seem. The peaches are beautiful in color, shape, and texture, but they've been forced in the growing process and they've been picked too soon. The result is disappointing. The tomatoes are hard and dry, the oranges are sour, and the peaches are tasteless. They've been picked before they're ripe. Impatience has spoiled the process. Is that going on, Christian, in your life? Patience is God's word. God is never in a hurry. God's word to us is wait. It takes time for the earth to complete its journey around the sun. It takes time for the tide to come in. It takes time for a child to grow into a man or a woman. And it takes time to bring a person to full maturity in Christ. We live in the day of fast food restaurants, instant news and instant entertainment. We try to carry all of this hurry over into spiritual life. A celebrity professes to be saved. He is lionized, promoted, hurried from place to place to give his testimony and applauded on every hand. A young man shows promise as a preacher. He's invited here, there, and everywhere to preach his half a dozen borrowed sermons. He gets on the conference circuit and ascends the pulpits of all the megachurches. Then crash, down he goes. God's word on all this hurry is wait. He says not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Patience, last thing. Isabel Cunn in her book Green Leaf and Drought Time describes how some missionary friends found great encouragement in Andrew Murray's formula for trial. Here it is. Number one, say God brought me here. It is by His will that I am in this straight or narrow place and in that fact I'll rest. Number two, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Number three, then he'll make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends for me to learn. Number four, in his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when, he knows. So let me say, I am one, here by God's appointment, two, in his keeping, three, under his training, and four, his time. If you can get those lessons down tonight, church, you'll have personal revival. Quit trying to ripen the fruit of the Spirit in your life and let God do it. Quit trying to produce the fruit and let God produce it. I come from an apple growing section down in Kentucky. There's a large apple orchard not far from where I live and I know the owners there. And those apple trees you know are an unusual thing to me because I I come by there at a certain time of the year when the leaves are off and they're the ugliest trees I've ever seen. It's Haney's apple orchard outside of Somerset Kentucky. And, And the reason they're so ugly is they've pruned them. Now we used to have a couple of a- apple trees that grew in our hog lot when I was a little boy. And, and Dad never pruned them. Dad wasn't a horticulturist, he didn't, he didn't fool with any of that. And they had apples on them but they were knotty and wormy and bad. They, they tasted good but you really had to be careful, you know, if you know what I mean. And, and yet Haney's, this apple producing place has ugly trees but wonderful fruit. Beautiful fruit. You know why? They have to prune those trees back so all the growth doesn't go to the limbs, it goes to the fruit. God does that pruning. Let let this thing, let it have its perfect work in you. Allow God to do what He's doing without complaining and grumbling and leave it to the Lord and let Him produce the fruit. I've never seen anybody give a seminar to fruit trees on how to be fruit producing trees. They just naturally do it. You know what a tree does, an apple tree? It has a It's the only thing it's ever going to do is have apples on it because it's the nature of the tree. If you are a child of God, you cannot help but produce fruit. If there is no fruit, then you need to stop and say, am I really regenerated? Have I been to Calvary? I'm not trying to put doubt in your mind. I'm just saying we need to nail that down. Salvation has to be a settled fact in our heart of hearts to know it's not in the prayer you prayed. It's not in the preacher that preached. It's not in the song that was sung. It's in a Christ who purchased your redemption on the cross. He paid it all as Brother Case was saying yesterday. Every bit of my sin before I was even born Brother Case. Before I had committed any of it was already taken care of on the cross of Calvary. Now that makes my little head spin, but it makes my heart flutter because I know tonight that Christ has redeemed sinners like me. Let's let patience have her perfect work. Father, continue to speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name,
0: amen.